Welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church, Kannapolis, North Carolina. As senior pastor, Dean Hunter shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. If you have your Bibles, we will be back in 2 Peter, chapter number 1 today. If you were here last week, we were in 2 Peter 1, and we read through and preached through several truths, realities about growing and God's desire, God's plan, God's expectation for believers to be growing in these last days. We understand if we have any spiritual insight, I find myself today saying, well, if they had any common sense, and I'm reminded that common sense ain't so common anymore, just go out in public. So we have to be careful, but when we think if, if people had any spiritual insight, they understand that we're living in the last days. We must understand, I know if you've been here every Sunday for the last six or eight, you've heard me say this, but we have to be reminded, that doesn't mean, last days does not mean we believe Jesus is coming next week. We do believe he could come next week. It's often good to be reminded he could come today. But these last days are the days in between his ascension and his return. And just as certain as Jesus was born, and just as certain as he died, just as certain as he rose from the dead, just as certain as he ascended to heaven to be at the right hand of his Father and is ever living to make intercession for us right this minute, just as certain as those events that we preach about and we amen about and we celebrate, he is going to return again. And so we are living in the time frame, in that gap, if you will, between his ascension and his return. And God has some plans for us while we're here. And one of those plans, one of his expectations is for us to grow. I lead into that because we're going to be in verses 8 through 11 today. And in good Bible study and good preaching, you'd never start in the middle of a passage that starts with the word for. And so I had to remind us of what is in verses one through seven. Would you stand as a custom and tradition here at Central Baptist as we honor God's word? Let me just remind you, when we stand to read the word of God, it's because we want to put priority and preeminence on the truth of God's word. We're not standing for a church or for a preacher or for a pastor. We're standing because we honor the Word of God. I must give a brief disclosure. In the following passage that we're about to read, not that all Scripture is not important. I'm convinced in my preparation that these verses of Scripture are verses that many people who have been in church for a long, long time don't understand the significance of these verses. I'm going to say potentially some things today that might make you uncomfortable. Whatever I say today that, makes you, that may seem abrupt or abrasive, I assure you is not in any way personal or to call out people or personalities, but to point us back to these verses. I believe we have an enemy. If you know anything about scripture, you, you know there is an enemy. 
And when we think of this enemy being some big bad wolf, we are fooling ourselves. We think of this enemy as, you know, Halloween costume. We're fooling ourselves. And there are many strategies of the enemy that are detracting and deterring people from coming to a saving knowledge. And let me just cut to the chase. He's not omniscient, he's not God, he's not sovereign, he's not all-powerful. But our enemy and his forces, if you will, are not dumb. And they, he, they capitalize on the naivete of people who are looking for some big bad wolf. And one of the strategies of our enemy is to allow us to think things that aren't true about Scripture, to give us a fake, a false confidence in our salvation. There's a reason God wants you to know. Let me just say, God wants you to be certain that you're born again. And our enemy wants you to doubt and question whether you are or not. And if you are doubting your salvation, you're doubting your walk with God, you are ineffective for the cause of Christ, and you are being used as a part of a strategy of our enemy. And if we're honest, if everybody who claimed to be born again was truly born again, this country wouldn't look like a circus. Morally, legally, ethically, it wouldn't look like it does. So what's the reality? There's a lot of people saying there's something, and they, they don't have a clue what that something is. That's not the will of God. God wants us to be confident and secure in knowing that we're born again. So in verse 8, Peter writes and says, For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacks these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, believers, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for your word. Help us through the power of your Holy Spirit to understand it, understand the significance of what you're saying to us, and help us through your power to make application in our life. And I pray if there's a person here today who's been saying they're born again, whether it's two weeks, two months, or 20 years, but they're not. I pray today they don't leave this place without knowing with full assurance that they belong to you and you're Lord of their life. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. My sermon title this morning is not as quite as creative as I would like for it to be, but it's the priority of these things. In the next hour and a half, if you don't hear these things at least 20 times, I will not have done my job and you, or you haven't listened. Some of you just turned me off because of what I said an hour and a half. I'm not going to say anything other than my battery was low, Statler brought me two fresh ones, so we're good to go. God's desire for us is to grow while we're here. 
Uh, I'm a fan of Adrian Rogers. Some of you know who that is. Um, I like him. He likes me. And I was reading behind one of his sermons, and um, you know he had a, an alliteration for everything. He made up words so that his sermon sounded better, if you know anything about Adrian Rogers. And his sermon title for this portion of scripture was Faith That Knows, Faith That Grows, and Faith That Shows. And in this text, prior to verse 8, Peter is establishing the reality that God's desire, in verse 5 we see, is to give all diligence to do everything we can to grow. The word there in the King James is to add. It's our word for to supplement. It's very important that we understand that we do nothing to obtain our salvation. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Our salvation, our faith comes from God. Once we know we are saved, once we have acquired our faith, if you will, it is God's desire, according to verse 5 of chapter 1, that we do everything we can Another way to look at it is we eliminate every obstacle. That's the text. We do everything we can. We eliminate every obstacle that would keep us from growing closer to Jesus. Now, I'm over-elaborating because where we're headed in these texts, in these verses, they're important. And I want us to be awake, at least in the next 20 minutes, we'll get there, seriously. And I want us to be wide-eyed and spiritually awake to hear what God has to say so that we can be confident that we are who we say we are. Though our faith is by Christ alone, in Christ alone, our growth as a believer is dependent upon you and me. We're saved by faith, by grace through faith, in Christ alone. But after that's done, after our salvation is accomplished, the burden is on you and me to grow closer and closer to him. Right now is a good time to be very preachy, and I'm trying to avoid too much because it adds to the length. But I hope you understand and appreciate what I'm, trying to, what I'm about to say. In the year 2022, with all of the resources and all of the technology and all of the churches We've never lived in a time where it is, I don't like to use the word easy, where it is easier to know about Jesus than right now, the day and age you and I are living in. You can listen to scripture, listen to sermons, listen to podcasts, read books, those still exist, for free. You can still turn on radio, you can turn on Sirius Satellite. There is no excuse for a born-again Christian to not take every opportunity, avail themselves to the opportunities to grow. That being said, it just makes it more laughable when a professing believer church hops like a kangaroo saying, well, they just weren't feeding me. It's not just here. It's everywhere. That's one of the standard default reasons for people leaving the church. Well, they just wasn't feeding me. I'm not even going to touch that because it's been touched by every preacher for the last hundred years. But if that's all you're eating, there's no wonder 
you're blown around with every wind of doctrine because you're pretty much a spiritual skeleton with no weight and no muscle and no ability to stand. Man, I've been, I'm hungry. I ain't ate all week. I can't wait to get to church so I can eat. Ain't none of you fatties in here saying that. But it's a go-to. And this is a great church with hundreds of volunteers that we honored last night that every Sunday there's an opportunity for you to grow from another person who's invested time and talent. There's children's activities, there's youth activities, there's Awana, there's small group Bible studies, there's Sunday school we still have here. There's Bible study on Wednesday night. Still do a Sunday morning, Sunday night. We still preach out of the Word of God. You have ample opportunity. And the world has ample opportunity. There's no excuse for scrawny, undernourished believers. And if we want to be old-fashioned and just grumpy, it points to the reality that many who say they are are not what they say they are. Why would you take advantage of it? Peter, this same Peter said, as newborn babes, and there's a lot of them going around here. One of them's trying to distract me right now. Don't take that baby out of here. As newborn babes get good and holy ticked off when they're hungry. And we're to be as newborn babes, longing, desiring the sincere milk of the word of God. I don't, have, I don't have time for that. I'll stop. Here's what I always feel back. Here's what I always feel back. Because I told you I'm psychic. It runs in my family. My great aunt was psychic Sadie. Psychic Sadie. She, she had a phone line. But no. She didn't, but she was psychic. She said she was also crazy and a Yankee on top of it. She was born in Chesterfield, South Carolina, but she went to Connecticut and found a Polish Yankee and married him and it rubbed off quick. Am I lying? I'm not lying. No, I'm not lying. No. Sadie used to call my grandma. My grandma thought she was psychic for sure. Like she'd call and she's like, my grandma would tell her something to happen. And then Sadie's like, yep, I knew it. Like, you got to come up with better material than that. You got to tell us before we tell you. I knew it. I knew somebody got a new car, didn't they? Well, there's 400 people in the family. Yeah, they got a new car. Yep. Oh, she's got it. She's good. Sadie's nowhere in my sermon notes. See, this is what happens. So as we go into this text, and I am going to get there, there's three questions we have to ask. Are you doing everything you can to grow, to add, to supplement your faith? That's what God expects. Number two question, what are you doing to supplement your faith, to add to your faith? Question three, if you're not, why? The easy non-acceptable answer is I go to church three times a week. It's not acceptable. It is acceptable to go to church three times a week just in case there was any misclarification or misunderstanding. But it's not enough. God wants us to grow more and more like him. Last week, in verses five, six, and seven, some of you remember some scholars call these virtues, these seven virtues, the ladder of faith. And Peter mentions seven virtues that are built upon as stair steps, one built upon the other. I won't go there. I've preached 20 or 30 minutes of that last week. But in verses five through seven, those seven are mentioned, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and they culminate in love, agape love, the love of God which is not just an attribute of God, it's who God is, 
And you can see the progression is as we grow closer and closer to him, we become more like him. Man, what a difference this world would be. What a difference good Baptist churches would be if all of the believers were growing to be more like Jesus. Imagine if we forgave people the way Jesus forgives people. Imagine if we extended grace to people as Jesus extended grace. Imagine if we offered mercy to people the way Jesus offered mercy to people. And if it should ever be happening in any place, it ought to be happening in the church by people who have experienced that grace and that mercy and that forgiveness. It's important to note that supplementing our faith is made possible not just by the preacher or the church or a resource that's made possible in verse three by God's divine power. This gets to the point. In our natural state, we will not try to become like Jesus. We will only do it because verse three, God's divine power who gives us the ability to be more like him. Which starts to answer some of the questions. If you're paying attention, it starts to answer some of the questions as to why some people aren't growing closer to him. Because the natural man, the unsaved man, the not born again person will not be trying to be like Jesus. But those of us who are born again should be. So here's how I I got sidetracked with my psychic aunt. I feel it coming back. And here's, here's, I always feel it because I know me Some of you know me, some of you are mean, and you harbor grudges. It's a joke, relax. And we always want to point to somebody else and point to what about this, what about that. And when I preach this, and this is not the first time I've preached this, not just this text, but this truth of growing closer to him. Here's what I always feel back, and it may be my mind, it may be my flesh, it may be the devil, it may be some of you, I don't know, but I feel it. Well, I remember when you weren't so close to him. Maybe you're thinking that. Maybe you always thought I was perfect. (laughs) And here's, here's my response. You're right. I remember when I wasn't as close to him. And if you're closer to him than you were two years ago, you remember when you weren't closer to him, which is a good thing because every day we're supposed to be growing closer to him. The reverse is the problem. I'm further away from him than I was five years ago, and that's not the proper progression. Well, pray for him. He just got cold on God. He got backslid. I know that, that, that cuts against the grain of every evangelist that's preached in sawdust for 400 years. I'm, I'm not going to be mean. So I'll stop there. You backslid, you cold on God. Well, you might just need to get saved. Here's a question. You find a verse in a passage that'll help me out. We'll, We'll all be on the same page. Find me a verse that says, this is the amount of time it takes for someone to be determined lost and not just backslid. I'd like to find that verse. How how long's how long's too long to be backslid? How long's too long to be cold on God? At what point do we say? Man, they've been cold on God for 36 years. Y'all with me? We're praying for people that are backslid. And maybe God uses our ignorance and our silliness to help in his prayers. And and he kind of, you know, sifts through them and um, translates them so that he saves people that we've been asking to get close to God. Man, oh, Billy, backslid. He ain't been in church in 20 years. But I remember that day he got saved at that revival. Are you just making this stuff up? No, we're going somewhere. Many seem to be, and here's, here's the reality, the unsaved or lost dead man will not supplement a non-existent faith. Many... In this day and age we live in, many people seem to be supplementing, quotes, a non-existent faith 
Is it possible for people to supplement a non-existent faith? Oh, there's a lot of people that just keep knowing and knowing and knowing but never come to a saving knowledge. And I think Paul told Timothy about that in the last series of messages we preached. That they'll be ever learning. They have a form of godliness. They'll be ever learning but never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Who is that talking about? People that know a lot about the Bible, know a lot about theology, but don't know the God, the, the theology, the God of theology. These seven virtues, this latter, if you will, are essential to understanding the text in verses 8 through 11. Therefore, I get the simple title, the priority, the significance of these things. So look in verses 8, 9, and 10, and I want you to, in each verse, if you have your Bibles there open, to look and see these things. In verse 8, Peter says, for if these things be in you, verse 9, but he that lacks these things, wherefore... The rather brethren, verse 10, for if you do these things, any Bible student would look at these verses and say, please tell me what these things are. And these things are the things, the virtues, the seven virtues that Peter says we should be supplementing, adding to our faith in verses five through seven. With that in mind, there are three essential lessons as we recognize the priority of these things. You ready? We're ready? Number one, these things prove to be consequential. Paul makes it very clear in verse 8 and verse 9. Peter, one time. Peter makes it very clear that having these things, these things being in you, last time I'm gonna have to say this if you'll just look like you acknowledge. When I say these things, everybody in here understands we're talking about those seven virtues, correct? So nobody has to ask. We keep saying these things, what are these things? We all know. All right, now I feel better. Possessing these things make you fruitful. Not possessing these things make you forgetful. They're there in verse 8 and verse 9. Verse 8, if, you, if these things are in you and they abound, they show, they're demonstrated, they make you that you shall neither be barren, which is the word for useless, or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I touched on this briefly last week, so it'll save us some time. True believers want to be useful. True believers want to be fruitful. God expects true believers to be useful and to be fruitful. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7, it's, it's interesting that even in Jesus' day when he was here on earth, he was kind of forewarning about false prophets and those who were coming with these phony gospels. And he was very, very sure to make sure they knew that he was the good shepherd and sheep need to hang out with the good shepherd. And in chapter 7, he says in verse 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothes, but inwardly they're ravening wolves. How will you know them? You'll know them by their fruits. The men gather grapes or thorns and figs and thistles, and he talks about that. So every good tree brings forth good fruit, every bad tree, evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not fruit, good fruit, is cut down and cast into the fire. Verse 20, therefore, by their fruits, you shall know them. And every believer who have these things will be fruitful. They will be useful. God can use you and wants to use you as we grow closer to him. But not possessing these things make you forgetful. In verse 9, he that lacks these things is blind 
and cannot see afar off and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. I'm gonna be very honest, um, out of all of my preparation, about 70 to nearly 80% was studying this passage right here. It's a, it's a pivotal portion here. To say it's important is an understatement. He that lacks these things is blind and cannot see afar off and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. I'll, I'll let you, you can study, you can come up with your own conclusions. The question was more about, is Peter talking to people that are lost or Peter talking to people that are saved? And the letter is written to people who are saved, but here I believe he's referring to people who are lost. And I didn't come to that conclusion easy. It took a lot of reading and studying and going to some original words and prayer. Regardless of whether you believe that up front is somewhat not important because it does teach of the importance of possessing these things for our assurance. The person who lacks these things, these seven virtues, the person who is failing to attempt to add these things, to take a quick 20 second time out and say, this doesn't mean that you have mastered all of these seven things. It means that you are working hard, doing everything you can, and avoiding every obstacle that's there so that you do grow. That's the person who's striving. But the person who lacks the striving, lacks these things, lacks the will to, lacks the initiative to, cannot, they're blind. They're blind to what? He goes on and he really expands upon this blindness and he says they can't see things afar off and he, and he ex- describes a condition that some people in here have. He's going to pick on me. You're nearsighted. And the word there is what we get our word for, and some of you have seen this. If you've been to the eye doctor, you've heard this word, myopia. You're nearsighted. You can only see what's right here. And you need help to see what's out there, no matter where you turn. And there's a, it's a great image here, and I, I wanted to do some things, and then I decided not to because it was going to take too much time. But this person who lacks these things, they only see what's in front of them, and they can't see what's out in the future. And by the way, verse 10 and 11 starts talking about what's out in the future. But this person can't see that. And the reason they can't see that is because they're not striving to obtain these things. And so they have, it leads to spiritual myopia. They're spiritually nearsighted. They can't see what's ahead. And if they turn around to look and see what's behind them, they can't see, y'all, y'all with me? Y'all see the, I can't see what's ahead, but if I turn around to see what's behind, I can still only see so far from what happened. And that leads to a spiritual condition of nearsightedness. The Mayo Clinic says nearsightedness, and, and I'm, I'm not gonna flesh this out, but I thought it was very practical. The Mayo Clinic says nearsightedness or myopia usually develops during childhood and adolescence. And it usually becomes more stable, more concrete, between the ages of 20 and 40. Myopia tends to be, or tends to run in families. Anybody appreciate the spiritual application that could be made there? If you understand and appreciate that, I won't go any farther. But I will at least say spiritual myopia oftentimes runs in families. When I do premarital counseling, which I'm doing now with a couple and have done recently and probably will, and will be doing another, which is good. Keep getting married and making babies. That's, why, that's how we're going to do this. When we counsel, we talk about a lot. And um, I'll just stop and I won't go into that and say, well, a lot of things run in families. And if we're not careful, 
we acquire learned behavior and we'll act just like our parents did. Which fortunately can be good. It's not always bad. But usually we don't want to recreate the bad things. And in the church, in the spiritual world, a lot of what happens runs in families. And I'm not talking about the, the gossip. That applies, but that's not in the text. I'm talking about spiritual issues. Well, we grew up in church. How do you think you get to this answer that's a pretty common answer? How do you know you're born again? Well, I, I grew up in church. But whoa, 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 let's stop. Are you saved? Are, are you a Christian? Man, that's become the most strategic enemy question I think there can be asked in the world today. Are you Christian? Absolutely. Well, what does that mean? No idea. Was the queen Christian? Absolutely. She was a defender of the faith. What faith? Don't, I don't want to bother y'all with the queen. I know you're still mourning, so I won't bother that. But how many different shades of Christian are there? She might have been, just so I'm on some of your good side who's been following this and you're still in mourning and you've got flowers by your TV or whatever you're doing. Don't want to hurt your feelings. She may be. It's between her and God. Does that, that help some of you? Okay. It's all between a person and God. But when we ask the question, are you Christian, and you get the absolutely, you say, what's that mean? That, that question has become a pretty interesting question in America today, whereby we always get the 70-some percent. Yeah, I'm Christian. What kind? Um, I don't know. But I grew up in a Christian home. We always went to church. I went to Bible school. You say, but that's old. People don't say that stuff anymore. Oh, they do. They just use fruitier, more lofty words to describe it. And it's scary. He that lacks these things is blind and can't see afar off. They're, they're nearsighted. They, they have this spiritual myopia that leads to spiritual amnesia. They're so blind, they forget everything else. They forget what? This, and this, I'm going to cut to the chase because I don't believe this is possible. But they forget what? That they've been purged or cleansed from their sins? How could a person ever forget that they've been cleansed from their sins? This is what helps me understand the text that he's now talking about unbelievers. They're definitely not people that were saved and lost it. For those of you wondering, because I don't think you can. It's not talking about people that got it and decided they didn't want it anymore, because I don't think that happens. So I've heard somebody say they're, they're renouncing their faith. Yeah, they do it, but they never got it in the first place, so they didn't have much to give back. But they're deconstructing now. Well, it didn't take much deconstruction because it wasn't really built very solid anyway. They forgot what? That they've been purged? You know what? Somebody who forgets they've been purged doesn't understand what happened when they were purged from their sins. The word there is cleansed in the English. They were cleansed from their sins. They've certainly not someone who is, has a halfway decent grasp on what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter one, when God at various times and various manners spoken to times past unto the fathers of the prophets. He has in the last day spoken unto his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. this is Jesus, who being the brightness of his glory, Jesus was the brightness, the glory, the brightness of God's glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. Do you see Jesus? Do you see the picture of Jesus that he's the glory of God? He's God's son. He's perfect. He's righteous. He's holy. He's the king. He's heir of all things. Do you see that, that Jesus that the writer of Hebrews is talking about? That Jesus when he had by himself purged our sins? 
The person who was stainless paid the price for our stains of sin. The one who had no sin became sin for us to cleanse our sin, to purge our sin, to pay the price to be the propitiation for our sins. Anybody who's ever understood the stain of sin and understood the glory of Jesus, that he would take on our sin and cleanse our sin, does not forget that. No person comes into church as a born-again Christian saying, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow and forgets about it. I don't even know what that means. A believer sings that song and sings it from their heart, knowing that Jesus did pay it all. And because of that, I owe everything to him. They understand the darkness of sin. They understand the destruction of sin. They understand the previous verses, the corruption of sin. They understand where they're headed because of that sin. They understand that they're at enmity with God and headed a play, to a place called hell, separated from him forever, but because he paid it all, because he purged those sins, because he cleansed me so that I can stand before God clean and righteous. You don't forget that. Now, Peter says, I'm gonna to continue to remind you of that in the, pre, in the following verses. And I, I think I'm gonna just keep reminding us of that. Reminding us of where you were, where I was, and where we came from, and where we were headed, but now where we're headed. And now in our terrible, sin-cursed state, we stand before God as righteous because he purged our sins, because he cleansed us from our sins. What great news we have to share that yeah, your, stint, your sin has stained you, you're at enmity with God, you're headed for hell, that's terrible news, but he who knew no sin became sin for you and paid the price. What great news to say the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And Peter says, hey, if you ever had it, you're not forgetting this. It's not a believer that forgot. Peter, later in verse 18 to 19, which we're not there yet, he goes on in his reminding of us, and he says, for as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot. There's a reason in the last few years I decided, we as a staff, we as deacons and leadership decided we're gonna have communion once a month. Why? And as often as you do this, Remember me. May we never, and we do it tonight, take communion at the end of the service. May we never forget when we have an ordinance that Jesus gave for us to continuously remember. May it never be a routine in a church to where, well, we got communion tonight, but the Cowboys play at 810, so I'm not sure. That, that would be meddling and that would hurt some feelings, so I won't go touch on that. Well, there's something more important than remembering Jesus died and purged my sins. This is gonna be mean and I love everybody in here, I think. But what truly born again Christian would say there's something more important than remembering what Jesus did? You ever done that before? Yep, but I wasn't as close to him as I am now. We're growing, we're getting closer. I was foolish, I was dumb, I was not paying attention to the word of God and the spirit of God, and maybe that's where you're at now. May we never forget. These things prove to be consequential. You wanna be fruitful? 
or you want to be forgetful. Number two, these things provide confirmation. Oh, this is really important. I'm glad we got this far. These things provide confirmation. Verse 10, wherefore, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. Oh my goodness, he's going to touch that verse. You theologians are intrigued, aren't you? What's he going to do with this? I'm going to play it safe. There we go. <laughs> give diligence to make your calling. By the way, see that word diligence? If you look down to verse 5, it's there again. It's the same word that says do everything you can. Keep every hurdle and hindrance from allowing you to do this. It's the same word. Christian, how do I know he's talking to Christians here? Brethren and sistren. That's in the NIV. But brethren and sistren. Everybody, Christians, listen up is what he says. And do everything you can. Make do due diligence. Do everything you can to what? To make your calling and election sure. That word there, to make your, is to confirm. That's where I get the title, confirmation. What can I do? Here's the question. Here's what you came for and you didn't know it. What can I do to confirm I'm born again? What can I do to confirm, to make sure that I've been called and elected? You'll hear that. You're quiet. That's what happens when you say election. And not talk about November. By the way, there's an election in November. It's time to... Lisa's going to get us crunk up and registered to vote. If you haven't been registered to vote the right way, she'll get you registered to vote. We'll vote for you, and, and we'll send in your ballots. Bring in all your absentee ballots and your neighbors. That's called ADHD. Do the same thing you did in verse 5. Make Do due diligence. Do everything you can to confirm your calling in election. Here's what I'm going to say about calling in election. God does the calling and God does the electing. That's, right. that's, right. that's enough for me. To sim- simplify this calling and election, Peter is saying do everything you can to make sure you know that you're saved. If there's one question that I have experienced in my ministry and youth and in pastoring that's prevalent within the church, it's this question, how can I know that I'm saved? I'll never forget, right over here, there was a lady that was visiting from a family on a special day, and I spent 30, 45 minutes with her, and, and I, I exhausted all I could. And I thought we had made a, had a breakthrough, and when she got done, she said, I still don't know. I just want to know. I just want to know. And, and the Word of God here in Peter gives us some insight into help as to how we can know. And he says, do everything you can to know, to confirm your salvation. I remember I grew up in church, and you've used this before, so please don't be offended by this. Some of you already, because this is your go-to verse, and I'm going to make an application, and then we're going to try to finish up. Somebody comes to you and you've been teaching Sunday school forever, you're a deacon, you're a minister, whatever, you're really smart in the Bible, and they say, how do I know? And you'll go, 1 John 5, 13. Some of you never heard, that's where we go. 1 John 5, 13. And John's writing this letter and he says, these things have I written unto you that you may know, I think I've got it here, that you have eternal life. Anybody ever, don't raise your hand. Some of us have used that verse. If you have, it's all right. God forgives you. Because you should use that verse. But please never use that verse and don't tell the person what these things are. These things have I written unto you that you may know. Well, man, I feel good. I'm going to heaven now. What are these things? These things are found in verses 1 through 12 of 1 John chapter 5. They're there. What are some of these things? I've got them written out here, which is good. Believe that Jesus was born of God. Well, that's pretty simple. Not really. A lot of people don't believe that. Love God and love those who God loves. Verse two, love God and keep his commandments. Jesus said, why do you say you love me but don't do the things I say? We are overcomers. 
Understand that you're an overcomer. Why? Because Jesus overcame the world and he's the Lord of your life. Verse four, overcome those, uh, overcomers are those who believe Jesus Christ is the son of God. Verse 10, he that believes on the son of the uh, son of God, which means more than just, I believe that Jesus exists. It means that I believe Jesus was the son of God. And I believe everything this book says about who Jesus is. His birth, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, his return. Everything. It doesn't just believe Jesus exists. He existed. That was the case every time they dig up something that says Jesus, people be getting saved all over the place. You think about it. Why didn't, when we know Jesus exists and we have archaeological proof and traditions and writings, why wouldn't everybody be saved? Because it takes more than just believing that he exists. These things have I written. And in a similar way, in 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter says, hey, do these things. Make, make, certain, make certain that you give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, it's the same these things. It's the growing. It's the getting closer to him. If you do these things, you shall never fall. Now, some of you like Warren Wearsby. And I think he's a good conservative theologian who's written a lot and many Many pastors and preachers for years have used Warren Wiersbe and copied and pasted and used a lot of his stuff. So I'm quoting what he says here. So don't get mad at me, get mad at old Warren. But it's biblical and it's accurate, what he says, based on the text that we're reading. Y'all ready? I don't know if you're ready for this. We've got seven minutes until lunchtime. He says, quote, it is not our profession of faith that guarantees that we are saved. It is our progression in the faith that gives us assurance. I've said this in less scholastic words, but I don't have a book. My name's not Warren Wearsby. But I am convinced and concerned because I've been in church long enough to see it. I'm looking at people that have been in church long enough to see it. And if you got friends, you got family, you got kids and grandkids, this will get our attention. There will be people and there have been people who went to a devil's hell holding on to just the time and place where they made a profession. That hurts to say it. But it's reality. If I ask you to complete a poll or to raise your hand, I've seen it in small groups and large groups. People that thought they got saved, but later got saved. There'd be hands up everywhere. And if we're honest, we have to think, what if I would have met Jesus in between those two times? Is that not a sobering thought? Well, this this is the reality. There have been people that met Jesus with a, I got saved at 10 o'clock in Bible school on blah, 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 blah. Stop, please don't get ahead of me and get upset. I'm not saying it's not good to know when you got saved. But if all you're going to heaven on is a date and a time and nothing has happened since that profession, that is not of God and it's not biblical. Because stamping a date and time on your get out of jail or get out of hell free card is not salvation. It's not the gospel. It's not of God. It is a, I started off saying this, you agree or disagree, it's a strategy of your enemy to keep you out of God's heaven. Hey, hey, anybody want to go to heaven? Y'all know there's fire in hell and the devil's down there and you, and it's just painful and torturous and you, anybody want to go to hell? No. How many want to go to heaven? Raise your hand. If you want to go to heaven, repeat after me. So nobody does that. Absolutely. Somebody's do that. 
and how scary it is and how much weight is on our shoulders as pastors and leaders and teachers not to make it easy to get into heaven. Yes, a simple gospel. Yes, a childlike faith. But it's not just saying, hey, I want to go to heaven when I die. If you made a decision when you were in Bible school when you were seven years old, I'm not saying that didn't take. Please don't misquote me because this is serious, soul-saving business we're talking about. It's not some punchline to a joke. This is going to heaven or going to hell. This is the gospel. This is accepting the good news or rejecting the good news. Let's not get in some back and forth as to, well, I can't believe he said that. No, what I said is, if you got saved when you were seven, you made a profession when you were seven, but you're no closer to Jesus now than you were when you were seven, then don't trust your profession to get into heaven. There's more to it. Jesus said it very clear. Drop everything and follow me. Glad I got some things to do. Tough. Follow me. Let the dead bury their dead. Oh, that was sounded so mean. I'll go again, and I may be proven wrong when I get to heaven. Somebody should laugh because we won't be asking these silly questions when we get to heaven. But I believe, I believe if Jesus would have said, if that guy would have said, yep, I'm coming, I'm following you. Never brought up the funeral. Y'all with me? Y'all know what I'm talking about in the New Testament. He said, I want to do this. I got a funeral to go to. I believe if the guy would have never brought up the funeral and said, yes, sir, I'm following you, Jesus. Jesus said, hey, don't you have a funeral to go to? Because he knows our heart. He knows us. He's not a careless, callous, unloving, unmerciful, ungracious God. He's a loving, caring, compassionate God. And I believe if that man would have said, Jesus, I'm following you, Jesus would have said, go to the funeral, then come. I think that. I could be wrong. But it's all about our heart. It's all about us focusing on him and trusting in him. If you don't hear anything I've said today, as time trickles away, please, Peter, through the Holy Spirit's inspiration, through God's divine power, is making it clear that it takes more to get into God's kingdom than some frivolous, flighty, yeah, I got saved. And his expectation is for us to grow closer and closer to him. So, so how do I know that I'm saved? Are these things in you? Are these things, things, these seven virtues, things that you are striving for, that you know that in and of your natural self you can't attain, but by the divine power of God that he mentions in verse three and five, you can? Is that your desire? That's the test. The test isn't if you cussed your dog out yesterday or you lost your temper yesterday. That's not the test. The test is, are you growing closer to him every day? And by the way, if you do that, you'll be less likely to kick or cuss your dog when you are. That's the test. That's the answer. And if you do this, if you make sure you're calling election, your salvation, if you do everything you can to make sure, you'll not fall. The word there is stumble. Doesn't mean you won't sin. Doesn't mean you won't kick your dog. Don't mean, doesn't mean you won't lose your temper. But it's as, a, it's as a march, which leads us into the last point. Not just confirmation, but confidence. And I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not going to put you through the pain of point three. But it's this picture of a march. That we're, we're marching, we're following the king, He's given the orders, and we won't stumble. We won't fall. Yeah, we're going to mess up, but we're still in line. We're still marching. And only a person, point two, who is confirmed and knows it. You understand, if you didn't hear this, that if you're not confident about your salvation, the devil has you right where he wants you. When we doubt, it leads to defeat. 
It may not look like your woe is me and my head's down and I don't know what I'm gonna do with life. It just means you're not in the battle. You're not in the fight. You could care less what goes on. You don't care if they, they ask for your help at church. You don't care if they're singing. You don't care if they're preaching. You just show up once in a while. I'll show up and let them know I hadn't died. And God forbid they call me and say, where you been? Because then I'll get mad because they called me and asked where I've been. It's only been seven Sundays since I hadn't been here. You won't act like that. People really get mad if you call Yeah. People really get mad when you don't call them, so lose-lose. Once again, what's the, what's the time? Tell us when the time is. Some book somewhere says 3.2 times, then call them. For so, if all these things take place, verse 11, these things promote confidence. For so, an entrance shall be ministered unto you. Oh, I wish I had... The language and the skills to elaborate on what verse 11 really means. But I don't, think, I don't think any of us have it. But I think if we're just reading the Bible just to read it, we miss verse 11 completely. When we're confident, when we're confirmed in our salvation and we know we're born again, verse 11 talks about this abundant entrance into God's kingdom that's waiting for us. It's, it's fun, flower, flowery language. It's written in the King James here, makes it a little maybe different for some of us. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you. The word ministered there means to, to make appropriation, to make provision for you. Into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord, an abundant entrance into God's kingdom. The word abundance there is um, abundant. It's a lot. No, it's a word for riches. It's a word for wealth. Do we understand, and, and I know this is not directly talking about, you know, four square heaven. It's talking about his kingdom. It's a good reminder. Let's not get, this, is gonna, this might hurt and we're going to go to lunch and have indigestion. Um, Let's not capitalize on the streets of gold and the gates of pearl and the walls of jasper and lose sight of the Jesus in heaven. And I got me a list. I ain't figured this one out yet. When I get there, I'm, I'm going to be the one. I'm going to be the one that interrupts that group praising him and says, excuse me, I got a few questions. You know, I, I, I'm just not going to enjoy heaven until I get these questions answered, Jesus. Don't be that guy. You won't be there anyway. So, not, not, not you. That person won't be there. I didn't mean that that way. Don't be offended. There won't be anybody interrupting the conversations with Jesus, the praises with Jesus. I can't wait till he's doing them because I'm just going to lay into him. can't believe he let this happen. The person who is confident and confirmed in their faith, they have confidence knowing they're on their way, unimpeded, it's as sure and certain as we're standing and sitting and waiting to eat chicken. It's just as certain. And we have confidence knowing that it's going to happen. That we're going to be not just welcomed into his kingdom. There's going to be a big, rich party throne. You can't say that in a Baptist church. There's going to be a celebration. It's going to be a celebratory entrance into his kingdom and the provision has been made, and it's provision like you could never, ever imagine. That's the confidence of knowing that you're born again. And so you sing the song. It's, a, it's an old song. I'm on my way to heaven, and I'm so glad. Y'all know that song? It's not, I'm on my way to heaven, and I'm so sad. I'm on my way to heaven, and I know it, and because I know it, I'm happy, I'm joyful, and I'm so glad. And there's nothing the enemy can do to keep me from going there. And when I get there, it's not going to be, um, let's walk into the kingdom of God. It's going to be a provided provision of glorious wealth that you cannot imagine. It's that time when you, the redneck from Rowan County, went to the really rich wedding, and you walked in like, whoa, I feel rich in here. It won't be feeling rich. It will be, I am rich because it all belongs to me because I'm brothers with the king who runs this place. That's confidence. That changes your perspective, does it not? Well, 
One day we're going to get to heaven. It'll be fun, I guess. It'll be pretty cool to go to heaven. See Jesus. Nah. Hey, when we're confident, we live like it. We walk like it. When we're confident that we're on our way to heaven and we're so glad, we flip over and we see that news headline like, oh, man, that stinks. That idiot did that again. Well, it don't matter to me. I'm on my way to heaven. I'm so glad. It, when, we, when we flip over and we see something irresponsible, that's a good Christian term, irresponsible has been said, some crazy legislative decision's been made where we see some group of people fighting to kill babies up to after birth, and we're sickened by it and we're ticked off righteously by it, we at least can be reminded, you know, I'm thankful this world's not my home, that I'm a citizen of two countries. And we have confidence. Yeah, we get ticked off. But we try not to lose sleep over it. Because we're just pilgrims passing by. You can't do that if you're not confident that you're on your way. Would you stand with me? Thank you for listening today. If you would like to know more about Central Baptist Church events and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.